Good morning, y'all. 1 John chapter 4 this morning. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John is like any other book in the Bible. The more you dig into it, the better and better and better it gets. And John has some good stuff for us today. 1 John chapter 4. This is our first sermon out of the fourth chapter of 1 John. So we're going to be going through one through 6, verses 1 through 6 this morning, here in just a moment. 1 John chapter 4. Now to kind of set this up, we live in a spiritual world, a spiritual world. Now the world's physical, of course. Now you can touch and see things, but we live in a spiritual world too, and it's often uh, missed, it's often lost on us how spiritual this world really is. If we could but for a moment pull back the curtain in between the physical, visible world and the spiritual, invisible world and see what was happening right as we go about our days. I mean, think about just doing your day-to-day things. What is going on behind the scenes? Things that you can't see or feel or touch or hear. Spirits, angels, demons that are at war, fighting for God's truth and for Satan's desires, what would we see? What would it look like? I think many times I'm glad that we cannot see what is going on, but it is there, and there's no question about it, especially as you read through Scripture. This is not a physical world only. It's not all there is, what we can see and hear and feel and touch. There's something going on all the time, behind the scenes, in the spiritual world. And John speaks of this today. In 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, John writes God's word to us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And that last line there is where I take the title for today's message, The Spirit of Truth and the Spirit of Error. You see, the spiritual world that we talk about is there, but we often get it twisted as to what it's really about. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is happening right now. This very moment, spiritual warfare is happening, but we often get it twisted as to what exactly is happening. And so our first point from the text this morning is this. Spiritual warfare is primarily a battle for truth. Spiritual warfare is primarily, not only, but primarily a battle for truth. 
spiritual warfare is always going on. But the main thing that Satan wants to distract us from, the main thing that Satan wants to tear down is God's truth. You see, Satan's main work and the main work of demons, angels that fell with Satan in the beginning, their main work is not possessing people's bodies. Right? You see this in Scripture from time to time, a demon-possessed man. Right? But that's not their main work. And their main work is not even tempting you to sin. As much as Satan wants to get you to commit sins, that's not his main objective. Satan's main work is deception. The main work that Satan and his demons are involved in is deception. Think about this. Think about how productive it could be for Satan to trick people into believing things that are not true. Yes, he can get you to sin in your own life, here or there, and yes, that will have some consequences, but the consequences of getting people to believe lies is far greater. The consequences of Satan getting people to believe out and out lies, that is the greatest thing that he could do for his purposes. His main work is deception. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus tells us that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He says when Satan lies, he's speaking his native language. This is what comes most natural to him. Satan's main work is deception. Not even temptation, but deception, which makes complete sense when you look at the many lies that people take for truth today and all the ripple effects that that is having in society and culture and in every single one of our lives. He wants to deceive people. He wants to discredit God's truth. Every truth claim that you will ever hear, every truth claim that you will ever hear has a spiritual source and it's either the Spirit of God or a demonic or satanic spirit. Every truth claim has a spiritual source, either the spirit of truth or the spirit of error, the spirit of God or the spirit of Satan. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Now the Spirit, capital S Spirit there, the Holy Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, watch this, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Yes, demons teach. Demons propagate truth claims. Right? doesn't mean they're true. They're claims on truth. There is no neutral ground in the spiritual world. No neutral ground. Either you are on God's side or you are on the other side. There is no neutral ground in the spiritual world. Truth claims come from the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Now, one implication of this a giant implication of this is all religions, apart from Christianity, are demonic. All religions, apart from Christianity, are demonic. Now, how could I say something like that? How could we ever claim something like that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know good people, good people, who follow other religions. Right? These are good people. How can I claim that any religion apart from Christianity is demonic? 
Well, let's think about it for a second. Anything that keeps people away from God and on the road to hell is the work of Satan. Anything. Anything that keeps people away from God and on the road to hell is the work of Satan. Satan wants people to feel like they are fine and then to be surprised at the judgment day that they will not enter heaven. What greater way to do that than a religion where people think they are reconciled with God when they are not? That's exactly what Satan wants. Every religion that claims that you can come to God through a way apart from Jesus Christ is straight from Satan. And we have to call it like it is. Now that doesn't mean we have to go beating people down in our everyday conversations. That means you don't winsomely and lovingly talk to your non-Christian friends about Christianity. Right? You want to gain a hearing with them. You want them to know that you love them and care about them. But it's objectively true, if Christianity is what it says it is, if Jesus truly is the only way to God, then every other religion has to be the product of Satan and his deception, trying to get people to coast to hell, all the while feeling like they are fine. Every other religion apart from Christianity is demonic. Now, the second thing we bring out of our text this morning, and we're going to spend most of our time here today because it's so important. John is encouraging us, John is commanding us to not be spiritually gullible. Don't be spiritually gullible, he says. Look at verse 1. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are many false prophets. I cannot tell you how many people out there today are claiming to speak the truth of God and are not. And the only reason we know is because of the Bible. That's the only reason we know how to distinguish between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Just because someone says they are speaking truth from God doesn't mean they are. Just because it is inspirational and makes you feel good inside doesn't mean it is truth. It is often very hard for me to walk into a typical Christian bookstore and to see the books that are up in the front that are typically uh, advertised as the ones that you should see first because about half of them are not worth your money at all. About half of them are claiming things that God believes that God never said, are pro propagating attitudes that God does not want you to have. And to distinguish between the good and the bad in a bookstore that claims that all of these books are Christian is hard. It really is, and it upsets me. Because there are tons of people walking in, seeing the thing on the bestseller shelf, and thinking that is what I should read to improve my relationship with God. All the while, it is taking them in the exact opposite direction. Just because something is inspirational and makes you feel good inside doesn't mean it is truth. There is a little picture floating around the internet of this little daily desk calendar. You ever seen one of these? You pull off one every single day, and it gives you like another inspirational saying for that day. You know, every single day you can do one. Well, it's a daily desk calendar, and it's got a Bible verse on it. And it looks real pretty. It's got a flower. It's very inspirational. And here's the verse. It's King James Version. It says, Luke 4, 7. If thou, therefore, wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Nice, inspirational 
If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Luke 4, 7. It's got a flower. But on the bottom of this little internet picture, it says, less inspirational if you know who said it. That's Satan speaking to Jesus there. Right? But you lift that verse up out of context, you can make it all nice and inspirational. It's not the words of God at all. It's the words of Satan. Just because something seems inspirational doesn't mean it is truth. In 2010, Tyndale House Publishers published a book entitled The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven by Kevin Malarkey, the father of this little boy, Alex Malarkey. Yes, that is his real last name. That was 2010. This boy had gotten into a traffic accident years earlier, spent time in a coma, and when he woke up from the coma and began talking with people, he began to tell people that he had went to heaven. And then they published a book about it, and the book sells over a million copies. In January 2015, Alex, the boy who has grown up substantially at this point, 2015, Alex released the following statement. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. I want the whole world to know that the Bible is sufficient. Just because something is inspirational doesn't mean you need to swallow it as if it is truth. You have to test the spirits to see if they are from God, if this is the spirit of truth or if this is the spirit of error. And this is a case in point, right? We do not need the stories of four-year-old boys to tell us whether or not heaven is for real. You do not know heaven is for real because you read a story about a four-year-old boy, you know heaven is for real because God told you so. God in his infallible word, not to mention the fact that it's absolute foolishness to stake your eternity on the imaginative story of a four-year-old boy. We know heaven is for real based on the truth of God, the unassailable, rock-solid promises of the Bible. And nowhere in Scripture does it suggest that people go to heaven and come back and tell stories about it. Not to mention the fact that all of these stories are so fanciful, you hear things about them that are nowhere in Scripture. You hear things like wings and halos and a Holy Spirit that kind of looks bluish. You hear things like sentimental emotionalism and not the glory of Jesus Christ. Every time someone sees a vision of anything like the throne room of God in the Bible... They are fearful, they are falling down on their faces, they are glorifying the Lord and Christ, they are aware of their own sin. You will see none of this in the heaven tourism books that make so much money these days. Why do I say this? Because there is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of error, and I don't want you to be gullible. John doesn't want you to be spiritually gullible and just swallow everything that says it's a Christian inspirational book. Not everything that claims to be from God is from God. The Bible is sufficient. Just a little story on that note. Jesus tells a parable about the rich man and Lazarus. Do you remember this story? Lazarus, this is not the Lazarus that he raised from the dead, different guy. 
Lazarus was a beggar at the gate of this rich man. He begged and begged and begged for the rich man to have some kind of mercy on him. And the rich man was just selfish his whole life. Well, finally they die and the roles are flipped. All of a sudden the beggar, Lazarus, is in paradise at Abraham's side. And the rich man is in torment. In Hades, in torment, it says. And somehow they can, they can converse. And the rich man calls up to Abraham and says, Father Abraham, please, will you do something to extinguish this fire? Will you, maybe just a drop of water on my tongue? And Abraham says, no, there's a chasm between us and you. We, we can't do anything like that. And then the man in torment says this. He says, then please send someone back to warn my loved ones so that they will not come here. Send someone back and tell them about this agony of fire so that they will not have to experience this. And what does Abraham say? He says, let them read Moses and the prophets. And the, the rich man says, no, 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 but if someone rises from the dead, then they will believe. And Abraham says, if they do not believe Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, the Bible, if they do not believe Moses and the prophets, they will not believe even if someone rises from the dead. What's the point? The Bible is sufficient. We don't need extra revelation from God. We've got everything we need right here. So don't swallow everything just because it says it's Christian literature, just because it sounds inspirational. Test it. Now, part of the biblical job, you guys need to know this, part of the biblical job of elders and pastors is to expose false teaching. I want you to know that because there will be times where we will call out false teaching by name, call out false teachers by name. And you might be sitting there saying, well, what do you have an ax to grind against that guy? Why, why are you sitting there being mean to someone else publicly? The job description of elders and pastors in the Bible, part of it is to call out false teaching and false teachers and to warn the sheep of this false teaching that will seem attractive, right? For instance, Ephesians 5.11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Or take Titus 1.9, where Paul is talking about the qualifications for biblical elders. Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Or look at Acts chapter 20. Again, I'm, I've got these up on the screen. You don't have to flip all over the place. But Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He's speaking to elders here. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And I'm here to tell you, Paul doesn't just call out false teaching in general. Paul calls out false teachers by name in Scripture. By name. In 2 Timothy 4.10, he says, Demas, who is in love with the present world, has deserted me. 2 Timothy 1.15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then 1 Timothy 1 by rejecting this, faith and a good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Their talk will spread like gangrene, 2 Timothy. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. He calls out people by name. And so you are going to hear every now and then 
a shepherd, an elder, a pastor of a church that is healthy, call out false teachers by name. Is it because we hate that person? No. Is it because we're trying to slander that person publicly? No. It's because if someone is teaching a false gospel and it's leading people astray, God says it is the job of pastors and elders to call out that false teaching and to warn their flock out of love to not go after that teaching because it might be attractive. Shepherds who love their sheep must warn them against things that look attractive and cause them to stray into dangerous places. Now, all of this implies heavily that we've got to know our Bibles. We've got to know our Bibles. How are you going to recognize unbiblical teaching if you don't know what biblical teaching is? It is not enough to sit in here and hear a sermon once a week and to hear whatever the, the minister has studied that week. We've got to be in this thing for ourselves. Because let me tell you, the teachings, the false teachings out there that are the most dangerous are the ones that are hard to discern. They're the ones that are hard to discern. Why are they the most dangerous? Because they're going to de deceive so many people. They're going to look attractive. People are going to think that they might be the truth. How are you going to know the difference between biblical teaching and false prophets? You have to know your Bible. You're in a spiritual war here. Reading the Bible is basic training. You're in a spiritual war. This is basic training. This is essential for every single one of us. We've got to get through this. We've got to read God's Word. We've got to know. We've got to be able to hear somebody teaching and claiming that it's from God and to understand when our red flag should be going up. After you get through the Bible, the entire Bible, and you've read it, which takes time, by the way, consistent time and patience, when you get through the entire Bible, there will be times where you will hear someone talking about God or about the Bible or about spiritual things, and all of a sudden you'll start thinking, wait a second, I don't remember reading that. I don't remember that being anywhere in Scripture. And your red flags start to go up. Why? Because you're, you're practicing discernment by reading the truth of God and knowing how to distinguish the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Now, finally this morning, John actually gives us two ways to test the spirits here. Two ways to test the spirits here in 1 John 4. Now, the first one, I'll call your attention to verses 2 through 3. Okay? 1 John 4, 2 through 3, this is the first way to test the spirits, the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. The test here is, does the teaching glorify Jesus as God come in the flesh? Now, I put every single one of those words in there on purpose, right? Because they're all important. Does the teaching glorify Jesus as God come in the flesh? Right? Look at verses 2 through 3. It says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. There are plenty of religions that claim they have God-inspired truth. But the question is, do they acknowledge that Jesus is God in human flesh? That's the question. Do they acknowledge that Jesus is God in human flesh? Do they confess Jesus as Lord? Verse 3 says, if they don't confess Jesus, they're not from God. 
any teaching that claims that there is another way to God other than Jesus Christ is not from God. Any teaching that claims that Jesus was a good man or a good teacher or a good prophet, but nothing more, is not from God. Jesus is the linchpin here. Jesus is the dividing line. Does this teaching, does this philosophy, does this religion claim and glorify Jesus as God come in the flesh? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus says in John 10, I and the Father are one. Does the religion or the philosophy or the teaching or the book, does it glorify Jesus as God in the flesh? Does it confess Jesus as Lord? But the second test comes in verse 6. Look at verse 6 of our passage today. Last verse, 1 John 4, 1 through 6. John says, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, how could John say something that sounds so arrogant? He says, whoever knows God listens to us. If you don't listen to us, you clearly don't know God. Like, it sounds really arrogant. It sounds like he, where, where does he get off saying something like this? The only reason John can claim this is because there were a special group of men that were commissioned specifically by Jesus, one-on-one, face-to-face, by Jesus to teach his truth and to pass on his teachings in an inspired way, in such a way that the people who were getting those teachings from those 12 apostles could have confidence that they were getting the words of Jesus and the words of God. John is saying here, not just we, not just Christians, he's saying the apostles. Anyone who knows God listens to the apostles, listens to their word, listens to the word of God. And so the second test is, does the teaching agree with and honor God's word? And if a teaching does not agree with or honor God's word, it is not from God. Jesus' divinely appointed messengers wrote this book. Even in the Old Testament, these are divinely appointed messengers writing the words, not just of God, but of Christ. Christ is God come in the flesh. So anything that dishonors the Bible is not from God. Anything that suggests, like we talked about earlier, that the Bible is not enough, Anything that suggests that we need more than this, we need more than this. We need something else. We need some other revelation from God. I need God to speak to me audibly. I need to hear from God today. My friends, you can hear from God every single morning. I hear from God every single morning. He speaks to me every single morning, and it is always a relevant and timely word. How does that happen? I sit down and I open my Bible. You can hear from God every day. This is enough. And any teaching that suggests that the Bible is not enough, that we need more revelation, that's not God's truth. Anything that contradicts any part of God's word is not from God. God would never and could never contradict himself. And if this entire thing is his words, then any teaching that you ever hear that contradicts this is not from God. It's not. If I'm sitting in my office one day and a young couple comes up to me and they say, uh, John, God told us that uh, even though we're not married, it's okay for us to live together and sleep together. 
I can look right back at him and say, God didn't tell you that. Satan told you that. I don't know what connection you're into, but that's not God. It's a different connection to a different spiritual truth, and it's not God's. Why? Because it contradicts his word. I don't have confidence in saying that to people because I'm such a smart person or I'm so tapped into you know, the connection with God. It's God's word. This is how you test whether or not something is of the spirit of truth or of the spirit of error. And so this spiritual world that we live in, it's not just about all the things that the movies tell you it's about. It's a fight for truth. Primarily, the spiritual warfare in the world is a fight for truth. And we're in the fight. We're in it. We're in the middle of it. We're being influenced by influences on good and bad, both sides. How are we going to be ready? How are we going to know what is truth and what is error? We have to read this thing. We have to get into it. We have to study it. And we have to see that Jesus Christ is the dividing line between what comes from God and what comes from the spirits of error, the spirits of Satan. Now, I know this is not such an inspirational and encouraging message today, but sometimes when we come together, we need to be encouraged. Sometimes when we come together, we need to be uplifted, and sometimes we need to get ready to go to war. And that's what we're doing today. We need to get ready to go to war because that's what it is. This is war. Paul calls it war. It's not a stretch to use the war metaphor when it comes to our spiritual lives because Paul himself does it. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. We have to be equipped. And God has given us everything we need with this word and the spirit that lives inside of you if you are in Christ today. John says in Verse 4 of our passage, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You can have confidence. You can fight this spiritual battle. Satan is stronger than you. Satan is smarter than you. Satan has more experience than you do in this whole thing. I'd venture to say Satan knows the Bible better than every single one of us in here today. He's been at it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. How are we going to fight against such a foe? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have the words of God. We stand on God's promises. I don't have anything in and of myself to go to war with, but God has given me everything that I need. So be encouraged and be equipped and carry around with you the gospel weapons that God has given you to fight this fight of faith. Let's pray. Our great God, we come to you as your children in constant need of strength and power that we do not have in and of ourselves. We know that you have promised to give it. We know that you have given it in your spirit and your word. We pray that you would help us to know how to wield these gospel weapons that you have given to us to fight this war that you have put us in, to see with the eyes of faith the spiritual warfare that is going on around us all the time. Hold on to us. Protect us. Help us to hold on to Jesus. Help us to do like, like Nehemiah and the workers that were rebuilding the wall. 
to hold on with one hand and to be ready with the other hand with a sword to fight. That is our life. That is our job. Help us to help one another do it, God. And help us to snatch others out of that easy path, that broad path that they are walking to destruction. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.